Hello, welcome to Kansas City Actors Theater, a regional podcast about the people who create professional theater and the process behind it. My name is Matt Samick. I work with Kansas City Actors Theater in Kansas City, and I am here today with Sarah Oliver, costume designer extraordinaire. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. You work in costume design behind the scenes, and you've worked extensively around Kansas City. How far back does your association with Kansas City Actors Theater go? I actually worked on the very first production that we did of Crippled Inishman. It was at the time the chair of the theater department at UMKC was on the founding committee. So um, he asked me to help with the costumes. So I helped, you know, build some of those costumes for that original show. Excellent. So going way back, even farther than that, how did you get into doing costume design for theater? All right, I'm going to make you laugh. I'm going to go really far back. (laughs) Um, I had one of those classic as my daughter came home from school and explained flashbulb moments burned in memories when I was five. So I was in kindergarten and they had brought in a muralist. I know we're going really far back. (laughs) Um, They brought in a muralist to do some murals in the library and they asked two students from memory class and I was asked to do that. I was sitting there painting a gray kind of grayish colored elephant. And I had this thought that this is a job and this is a job I want to do the rest of my life. I don't know what kind of artist I want to be, but mm, this is pretty good. Fast forward a lot. I went to a fine arts high school and it was kind of this foundation for everything that I do in the theater, which I didn't know at the time. We went in the morning to our regular high school and did math and English. And then we took a bus over and spent the rest of the day making art. It was really great. I was in the fine arts department. So I did painting and photography. I was studying to be a ceramicist. But I was the ballet secretary. There was a ballet school that I went to after school and was their secretary. My best friend was in the theater. I played in the orchestra. So it was kind of this nice little bubble of the arts world. Right. Um, I went to college and I was going to study to be a ceramicist, if you can imagine. And... I know. The um, head of the program here at the Kansas City Art Institute, uh, Ken Ferguson, had retired. And I felt a little lost. And I was walking around campus and I walked into the fiber department and uh, someone was throwing pots and printing fabric with them. And I thought, this is a place I could be. So I studied to be a fiber artist and textile painting and weaving and initially got into the theater because I was doing dye work for dancers doing all kinds of ombre dyed pieces uh, for the dance department. So kind of a long, non-traditional path into the theater. But I think all paths that lead to the theater are non-traditional <laughs> in some way, shape, or form a lot of the time. That's true. I, I wasn't one of those kids that hung out, you know, in school on stage. I was definitely someone doing all the stuff behind stage, you know. Right. Do you ever mess with ceramics still? Um. No, I don't actually, but uh, I love going to the museum. I, you know, I appreciate pottery. I buy a lot of it. So Cool. For the layman, what exactly does a costume designer do? We take real people and put fake clothes on them so that they can be real to the audience and to tell the story of the playwright. Okay. It's the simple version. There's, of course, a lot more to it. What process do you use for that? Like, what do you do when you are working on a show? Research. We do a lot of research. Uh, We read the play a lot. We have a lot of conversations with the director, of course. We're always interested in the time period. We're always interested in the clues, the little breadcrumbs the playwright gives us to what the character is. But then we just do a ton of research into particularly that time period, the furniture, how people sat, the colors of that time, the fabrics of that time, 
what was the industry. Um, we're just looking for every little tidbit we can to try to piece together what it was like. And then we kind of delve deep into the character. When you get up in the morning, you put your clothes on. If I asked you, you could tell me the history of every piece of clothing, every piece of jewelry that goes onto your body. And for a costume designer, we want to make a story that fits with that particular character so that we understand their motivation for each piece. And then we do a lot of fittings and a lot of work with the actors to try to meld all the visions together um, and support them on stage. Do you find you have a lot of dialogue with say the actors about what they may see in their character as you're developing what their costume is going to look like? It kind of depends on the show. Those are the shows we like the best, honestly, where we're going to rehearsal and especially for KCAT, the joys that I'm working with actors that I know a lot of the time that I've had a history of 20 years of working with. And there's a great shorthand to that. And they might have a physicality to the character that they want to emphasize, but they want something specific in their pocket. They might feel a certain way. And having those conversations, both at rehearsals and in the fitting room, that's the magic of what we do. There's the, the little tiny things. And sometimes the audience may never realize it, but it's entrance that the actor sometimes needs to really cement the character, or they give you a little piece of information. And as a costume designer, you get to go leaping forward in one direction. That's very exciting. Yeah, I've heard that before from, especially with actors who are in period pieces, but it, I think it applies to larger productions where actors will be like, I, I had an idea of what the character was, but then when I put the costume on, that really informed what the finishing parts of, like what the finishing pieces of the character would be. Yeah, that's the exciting part. And it is true in period shows that happens a lot because we might be using understructures and corsets and crinolines, something that constricts or restrains movement mm -hmm. or makes movement period appropriate. And that's really important for the actor to feel that and there is kind of an aha moment where they get into the clothes and they realize ah this is this is how this character moves or it you know it's helpful for them to cement their idea of what that character is right because when you put on a corset there's only so many things you can do anymore i assume from from <laughs> observation yeah, it's a little restricting. Right. What's the biggest challenge that you run into as a costume designer? Oh, the biggest challenge. Well, finding the right thing sometimes is difficult. Budget is always difficult. Mm -hmm. We have grand ideas of what we want to do. You know, I don't really see any one particular piece as the most difficult. For me, you know, there's the, you have all of these tiny little pieces where we deal with hair and makeup and shoes and socks and all the little stuff. And I think you have that kind of uncertainty where you don't know if it's all going to come together. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I love tech. It's where we do a like 10 hour rehearsal a couple of days before preview and you finally get to see every piece come together on stage. And usually it's very relaxing. It's like, it's a lot of work, but you have a, a big sigh like, oh, thank goodness. Right. Yes, it all came together. Right. Do you find often that you hit tech where everything is working together and there are adjustments that you have to make? There's always adjustments to make. <laughs> you know, that's the point where lights go onto the costumes finally. Mm -hmm. And that really beautiful, gorgeous um, mulberry costume is now, you know, dirt brown. Oh no. <laughs> right. So sometimes you can work between the designers and solve the problem, but a lot of times you have to change the costume. Something that you thought was perfect, you have a quick change and you really only have 30 seconds and it's just not going to work and you have to be creative. You just have to think on your feet. Right. So I mean, that's the exciting part, right? It's true. Small amount of time to get it done. 
done. So. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I talked to Victor Raider Wexler for a previous episode, and he mentioned the fact that he will learn as much in the first three or four performances about what he needs to do as he learned through the entirety of rehearsal and preparation. And it sounds like that kind of period is the that tech week for you when you finally get to see all of the parts working in concert and then make the discovery of, you know, that's not yellow, that looks like vomit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we do. It's weird about costumes. I mean, we do so much work. We're, we're waiting for the actors to show up at rehearsal. We're mm -hmm. just chomping at the bit because we're ready to do our first fittings and take actual measurements ourselves. So we've done so much work before they start rehearsal. And then we're madly rushing through rehearsal. But you're right. That tech period is really vital where all of the design team is in the room together. And we're really making choices as a group and as a unit for the greater good of the show. Right. And the actors are actually living in the set as if it's real and in the costume so you know that is an important important time right yeah because i mean you guys get together at the beginning of rehearsals as i've said in on them when they when the actors arrive you already have all of this background work that you can show off in terms of sketches and color palettes and sometimes even fabric palettes you'll have boards of you know this is what i envision these characters kind of looking like in their clothes and this is the fabric that I'm working on using and that's all the just the baseline research before actors even get there. Yeah, we might have been working on the show for a year before, you know, we go I'll go to New York, shop for fabric, I do a ton of costume sketches and so many meetings. I mean, we really will have talked to the director in most cases many, many times before the actors ever arrive for first rehearsal. Right. So what would you say is your artistic motivation in working on a show or in theater? Um, I think we're all storytellers for sure. Mm -hmm. I love being a problem solver. So for me, the mental gymnastics of solving problems is what keeps me going. Mm -hmm. And that can be something like we did True West a few years ago with Mark Robbins and Jim Birdsell. Mm -hmm. And the problem to solve was how much sweat stains to have on the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if the if anyone remembers the show, but they kind of destroy the set. Oh yeah, I saw that production. Yeah, it's, it's a crazy for the stagehand backstage stage people but you know we spent most all of tech trying to decide how much was too much sweat on the undershirt you know after he's exhausted himself right i mean of course that's all dying and distressing it's not real right but each show has its own little problem and it might be something so subtle like that and it might be a huge 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 problem of like a doll's house getting all the period pieces and building all of that and securing all the fabrics and trying to make everything look as if it's from the 1800s right. so yeah because it's little things like that that the the audience just kind of picks up on subconsciously that had a whole lot of thought behind it like sweat stains or blood or distress or whatever that may be all of that stuff is manufactured intentionally yeah my husband says i've ruined him for watching movies because when we first got married over 20 years ago he just sat and watched the movie now he leans over and says oh that sweat stain is terrible <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh 
that distressing is awful. <laughs> you know, Let's what was the cost of <laughs> right. You know, oh my gosh, it's a military show. So many uniforms, you oh, know. God, so right. obviously my work has bled over, but, right. uh, or maybe I just talk about it too much. Because <laughs> that's actually, I think we've had this conversation before when I watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, just knowing what you have talked about in terms of fabric and the relative expenses and things like that, the scenes that they have in the garment wear house i will just turn to my wife and be like there's so much money on screen right now (laughs) (laughs) it's so true and that show is amazing (laughs) yeah and i love the garment warehouse it's where i love to be those are my favorite scenes yeah that's your element right there it is so you said you like being a problem solver what is what are one or two things that you've done in memory that you were particularly proud of Gosh, I loved 5th of July and Tally's Folly. Um, Those were shows that we did at the very beginning at KCAT. Tally's Folly was just a beautiful little valentine. And I built the dress for the lead actress, and it was just really, really special. Mm -hmm. We did a show, Oh, What a Lovely War. Mm -hmm. It was a co-production with UMKC. Mm -hmm. And we had to build, oh gosh, I don't even know, 15, 17 white Pero costumes. Yeah, and that was a lot of work. And if we hadn't been co-producing with a university um, it would have been probably cost prohibitive to do something like that with the 100th anniversary of the first world war we got a lot of calls to rent those costumes oh. because basically no one in the country had the set of costumes because it's kind of a very expensive and difficult build. Right. So last year we got to rent them out several times and I got to relive the show and it was really it's just really nice to pull those out of stock and send them and know that the story was going to live on. Right. Um, it's just not a play that's done very often. We're very lucky here in Kansas City to have the World War One Memorial. Now, did that one come before or after Journey's End? And did you reuse stuff between those two shows? So Journey's End is really interesting. I took a job teaching at the Hong Kong Academy for Performing Arts. Mm-hmm. So I left Kansas City for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And so I had built the costumes for Oh, What a Lovely War, because one of my graduate students had designed it. I was in Hong Kong during Journey's End, and a student from UMKC had come over to do an internship. And we had those costumes built in Hong Kong. Oh, wow. So we had all the uniforms built, and there I was in Hong Kong with one of the students' boyfriend to come over, her boyfriend to come over, and we were carting those uniforms through the streets of Hong Kong. I know, dragging them, and we brought them back in our suitcases. So again, those are uniforms we had been allowed to go to the World War One Memorial, and they have an awesome library. And we had gone down and actually been able to look at the uniforms, put on the white gloves, and really take measurements. So those costumes are very authentic. Hmm. But yeah, so we had them built in Hong Kong and then brought them over. It was cool. a, one of those weird experiences, but fun. Right. So do you find your process to be a lot different if you're working on what might be a very specific costume show, like a period piece versus a a modern show? Yes. So we still do research. We still have conversations with directors. Um, if it's a modern dress show, it's a lot of shopping. Mm-hmm. And that's actually why some people get into costume design. They love to shop. It's not necessarily my thing in fact if you knew me I, I i don't like to shop when it's not for a show right but it is a big scavenger hunt and sometimes with modern dress shows they're kind of like the 80s or the 90s so you're going to every thrift store 
that you can find. And we have a lot in Kansas City trying to find or calling up friends to see what's in their closets. So it's a lot of shopping. It's a lot of fitting and a lot of hopefully great conversations with the actor. Mm -hmm. If it's a period show, then it's a lot of research. But a lot of times you're having those costumes built, made by a shop. I'm making them or you know, we're renting them. So it's kind of a slightly different process where we're shopping for fabric and finding all the trims and the buttons and the closures and everything that goes together. And there's a lot of fittings. We will do the sketch and we'll make a, a mock-up out of muslin, out of plain fabric, and we'll fit that onto the actor and make all the little adjustments and make a pattern. And then we start cutting the costume. So there's kind of some more front end process to it. it just kind of depends. Yeah. And we have stock. So Sometimes we'll pull things from stock. I often wonder if anyone ever in the audience noticed that that's from another show. Um, <laughs> now, as a quick aside, you've costumed for the rep before, haven't you? Yes, I did Sex with Strangers. Okay. okay. I'm not going to say I did. I designed Sex with Strangers. Did Sex with Strangers. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Okay, so that informs my question. So you've worked with a lot of different companies around Kansas City, from Kansas City Actress Theater to the rep to the new theater. What's one of the crazier experiences in terms of costuming or running costumes or what you had to come up with that you can bring to mind? A show at the Unicorn Theater here was pretty wild and crazy. Gosh, I don't know, Matt. That's a It's like you ask me and I can't tell you what play I've ever seen. So I designed a show at the Unicorn called Mr. Burns. Mm -hmm. And I was co-designing with one of my graduate students from UMKC. Mm -hmm. And the play is set in three distinct acts. It's about a pretend idea of if the power grid went down. Mm -hmm. And so the first act is around a campfire. And they basically the power grid has gone down and they're distraught. They don't know what to do with themselves. And they start telling a story around the campfire about an episode from The Simpsons. Right. And then in the second act, it's like, I think, I don't know, like 12, 15 years later. And now episodes, lines from The Simpsons have become like currency. And there's all of these, it's really funny, right. all these little traveling theater players, little theater groups that put on little scenes from The Simpsons. And so that whole act is about found items. And that was the act that my student designed. And she did things like using the carpet in front of the toilet that you might have that was like the front of someone's costume. Right. And the yellow new. Uh, little strainer that a lot of people have that was the top of one of the Simpsons head mm -hmm. um, pieces and there was a laundry basket a blue laundry basket for Marge's hair so all of these found the objects because there's still no power right and then in the third act it's uh, 75 years later and basically Simpson the Simpsons and Bart Simpson have become a religion okay and that was the act that I designed and still no power grid so I forced everyone to hand knit little red Pope shoes and we had Afghans as tabards and you know I threatened everyone that we couldn't use any sewing machines and you know had to do it as if the power grid had gone down right we're sitting in tech and they had this beautiful wall of water bottles really gorgeous water bottles that had all been filled with water so that the lights hit them all wonderfully and the whole show was filled with projections so every computer terminal you can imagine is running and the power went off of mm -hmm. course and everything died and we just sort of laughed in the costume area because there we were just knitting <laughs> away 100% fine that the power grid had gone down right know? so we will survive we are good. The apocalypse, <laughs> you want us on your zombie apocalypse team. Right. It was a really interesting and weird and wonderful show, but really went deep into 
hand making costumes and these wonderful sculptural headpieces and back to our roots as costume makers. Right. Well, it lets you get creative because, you know, you have to be like, if in the event of the electricity apocalypse, how are people going to create costumes if they have a, you know, whatever that was written, 2000 level of technical expertise about being able to make their own costumes and clothes, which for most people is probably hovering somewhere around 5%. I don't know. After this pandemic, I think everyone's home skills are going up. Right. Absolutely. But you know, for us, for me, especially, it was such an interesting idea as a costume designer and designers love the show because we had to create our own world. Mm -hmm. And that show is about doing a lot of research, but it's you're designing for something that you don't know. And so you have to make your own framework and you use the ideas and the iconography of religion. But how do you translate that through the Simpsons? Right. (laughs) You know, so it's a that's an exciting thing for a costume designer. It's a little scary, but exciting. We don't always get to work that way, but those are shows you really enjoy. Right. And you get to take on a character kind of in your own respect in that process because you are also costuming as the characters are costuming. Yes. Where they're looking at their production and going, okay, how are we going to costume this thing? It's like costume inception. Yeah, it's a play within a play, right. you know, moment for sure. Um, and you're you're trying to think about the stereotype, you know, you have to have it enough to where the audience can latch onto that idea and understand, but at the same time, you're creating this whole new world. So yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Right. Yep. Is there anything that you wish people who attended theater knew about costume design and costuming that they may not know? Well, I think people think that actors pick their own clothes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Actors don't really make choices like we sort of make all the choices for them you know we are in charge of what their hair looks like what their makeup looks like what color lipstick they're wearing what shoe they're wearing everything what underwear they're wearing Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a joke a lot of the costume designers across the country have a facebook page together and we always laugh because the reviews come out and for some reason they think that actors have picked their own clothes. <laughs> That's sometimes a compliment in the sense that they feel that they're so right. Or, you know, if you've done such a good job really drilling down to the heart of what the character is, it feels so natural. Right. So it feels like the actor would wear it. But no, they're not their clothes. Yeah. When the work is done really well, it becomes invisible. Yes. You know, if it's made so my grandmother used to laugh, if you make it really, really well, it'll look star bought. You know, so, um, <laughs> so that's the goal. If no one knows you made it, then that's a good thing. Right. But yeah, the thousands of choices like dying and distressing that we're, we're talking about earlier and how much and how little. And, and I think sometimes people don't realize what the inside of the costume looks like mm-hmm. because these things aren't built like real clothes. They aren't made like real clothes a lot of the times because we have quick changes and people actors run off stage and they have 15, 30 seconds to rip off everything they have on and get on a whole new costume. So sometimes there's all this hidden Velcro and snaps and weird way that things are constructed so they come off quickly right. um, or they might be underdressed. Um, those are always fun shows where the uh-huh. actor comes out and they might have on two or three costumes, but the audience doesn't know it, you know, and they're able to just kind of... Right. They just rip off layer one and then go back to it. Right. But then you have to think about how it's all stacked, right? You know, right. because layer three has to have a shorter skirt than layer one, right? But that's your contribution to the conversation that's going on between the entirety of the within the play and with the audience. Right. And we work really closely with the stage managers. They'll time out all of those quick changes. 
stages. So we get approximate times and we make things and plan for that. But that's where that tech process comes in again, because you never know, right? right? And it usually you do the first quick change and everyone starts laughing because it's <laughs> hopeless, right? But by the end of the run, sort of what Victor was talking about, you're back there and you could do it with your eyes closed and everyone's talking about their day instead of manically thinking about the quick change. Right. Is there any particular productions that you've done that you are particularly proud of, either from a craftsman standpoint or an artistic standpoint or both? For Kids Actors Theater, I joked with all my colleagues on the artistic committee that A Doll's House and then A Doll's House Part 2 at the Unicorn Theater were my leer. <laughs> In the theater world, when the actor gets to do the role of King Lear, it is the top of the mountain. It's so much to memorize. It is that monolith, right? Mm -hmm. And getting to make and design A Doll's House because I made all the women's wear and working on A Doll's House Part 2, that was my my year. That which, was my baby. Which was beautiful, um, by the way. Thank you. It was it was a joy. It was exhausting, but it was a joy. And it's just one of those shows where every little piece fell together and the actors were amazing and the way they moved in the costumes was perfect. And it's just, it was a dream. Mm -hmm. It was exciting. And you have characters that are upper class, middle class, lower class, and getting to do little things where some costumes because he had fallen on hard times it didn't quite fit perfectly or the fabric was a little heavier and little teeny tiny subtle things mm -hmm. that you know I'm not sure always the audience consciously knows but subconsciously it all stacks together to hopefully give the overall picture right I had gotten to go to New York to buy the fabric for that shop for the fabric and I remember standing in the warehouse and I saw this bolt of fabric and I could just see this tiny little bird sticking out and I got so excited. I think I squealed like a little schoolgirl because I just knew it was going to be the perfect fabric for Nora's dress right. when she's talking about the birdcage. Do you have anything left on your bucket list at this point of style or show that you would like to do? Oh, everything's on my bucket list. <laughs> it's funny. I think costume design is like having a baby. It's all of this all this nine months of work and process and you have the baby and you sort of like forget how hard that was. So you're always like, oh, I could do that again. Right. You know, that would be great. I am working on a dance piece right now. A very good friend is designing it and it's all about recycled plastics hmm. and it's really weird and wonderful and outside my comfort zone. So sewing with plastic bottles and I crocheting plastic bags. That's kind of what we're, we're in discussion right now. It's a little on pandemic pause mm -hmm. but she's a great designer so in this case I'm working as the maker and there's a dancer choreographer so it's all about movement so those kinds of projects are really exciting things to look forward to every musical you know that's a great time <laughs> you know it's every show it's amazing you start reading the play and when you fall in love with the script and you're working with actors that you adore, every project is the project of the time. Mm -hmm. It's ephemeral. It goes up and it's over. And even if you do that same play again, it'll never be that same process, those same costumes, that same moment in time. It's always different. Right. And that's the beauty of theater. Yeah. You can get the same group of people together to do the exact same show five years apart and the show's going to be different. Totally different. My husband's a chef and I often think about he does all this prep work and then he feeds people, you know, plates the meal and out it goes and it's five minutes and it's all over. <laughs> so I'm um, in a way we kind of do the same thing, but his is so much more ephemeral. 
I love, you know, the show, the run of the show, coming back a couple weeks in and seeing where the actors are, how they might have settled into the show, into their costumes. Mm -hmm. But you're right. If we remount the show again, it would be totally different. Mm -hmm. Are there any stories or anecdotes that you enjoy telling? Or is there a favorite story that you have that you would recount? Well, the gin game, I don't know if anyone remembers that. It was with Victor Rader Wexler and Marilyn Lynch. I designed the show when I came back to Kansas City after being away in Hong Kong. And my daughter was younger at that point. And my daughter's kind of always gone to the theater with me. You know, she started going from the time she was a little baby, hanging out in tech. She can do a 10-hour tech better than most actors. <laughs> but so she was with me at the tech process. And if anyone remembers in the show, they played Jen. It's the two of them on stage at kind of an old folks home. And they have to actually play Jen. And they spent weeks in rehearsal learning the game, but learning how to time their lines mm-hmm. to the game. So they played endless endless games of gin and my daughter was at a lot of rehearsals and learned to play gin and we play gin all the time that is what we do now the only (laughs) card game we know thank you very much dennis hennessy who's the director so as you can imagine during the pandemic we've been playing a lot a lot of gin a lot of gin it's always really funny to me to find something i remember the show sometimes by one specific costume or one specific thing i learned mm-hmm. or as the costume designer's trap you were out shopping and you bought something for yourself right. while you were shopping and you're like oh yeah i bought this while yeah. you know i was working on the gin game so you carry those with us but yeah a lot of gin during the pandemic the funny part is they counted out again you may not remember from the show but they counted out one one two two so we always still to this day count <laughs> exactly the way that victor did in the show cute cool well that's uh that this has been a, a, a very charming conversation i appreciate it of course thank you it's a joy to work at kansas city actors theater it's been kind of a exciting and wonderful experience to be part of the artistic committee and have input on what plays we do and really learn a lot more from what the actor's uh, perspective is. And it's a wonderful place to be. Well, your contributions have been beautiful. Well, thanks for your time today. We certainly, certainly appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this podcast, Kansas City Actors Theater. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it amongst all of your friends or strangers, whoever you may be able to, to share it with. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you may get your podcasts to get our future episodes. Thanks, and we'll talk to you again soon.